Welcome to What's Up Doc, a look inside the warehousing world, brought to you by OpenDoc. In this show, we chat with people making the supply chain happen and about the latest subjects in the world of logistics, warehouse management, and technology. Bring the forklift because this episode ships out in three, two, one. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the What's Up Doc podcast. So today we're chatting with Roberta Tamburino, SVP of Logistics Operations at Inception. She's previously worked at some places like Schneider, U.S. Bank, Genco, and AFS Logistics. I feel like I've heard of a few of those. And she's been in a variety of roles in the logistics industry, operations, freight audit and pay, sales, biz dev, pretty much the whole gamut there. So welcome, Roberta. Thanks, Jeff. Nice to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Calissa, my co-host as always. Calissa, any thoughts? I mean, we had a pretty exciting pre-conversation with Roberta to kind of learn her background. What are your thoughts of what to expect for this podcast? I'm so excited to interview Roberta Roberta right now. Um, She's such a powerhouse. I was really excited to hear everything she had to say during the pre-interview. And I think listeners would really love this podcast today. So. Yeah, I think your exact quote was, Roberta is a force in the logistics industry, is when we were having that conversation, which is exactly (laughs) why we want Roberta on our show. So look, we can just jump right into it. What is Inception and what do you do there? And by the way, for anyone listening, Inception has an X in it. It's pronounced Inception, just so you don't have to get corrected like I did originally. Um, And thanks, Jeff. Um, I, I like to think of the X as exceptional extra, but yes, it's Inception with an X. Um, Inception is a digital supply chain and marketplace leveraging software and really smart solutions to kind of revolutionize the way businesses work together. Um, We coined the term e-commerce, so industrial commerce, kind of an elevated B2B. Um, I am honored to lead their logistics. So I am responsible for domestic and international logistics, as well as some of the support functions therein on payables and um, some of the billing pieces that we do internally for our customers. Um, So we are based in Cupertino, California. The logistics team is primarily in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where I'm based. Nice. Yeah, you can get in those debates of where the real hometown of freight is. Chicago, Chattanooga, everyone has that. But it feels like Louisville is a pretty good spot. And I think one... Nice and central. Yeah, right. And I think one of the things you mentioned in our conversation was we talk about solutions company versus segment. And you really highlighted that you didn't Inception didn't start to be a, a brokerage or a TMS or anything. You actually just had some customers that had problems and you wanted to go start solving those. Can you tell us like, a little bit more about that or what were some of the first problems you solved? So problem solving is what all good tech companies try to do, right? They're trying to solve a problem. And at a consumer level, we certainly see that, right? We've seen the problems that were solved with, you know, flagging a cab versus getting into a personal car with Uber. The problem that Amazon solved with reaching consumers and getting product to them as quickly as possible. Um, we look at this on the consumer level all day long. It's really where tech and Excel On our side, where we are solving problems is we look at things like a brokerage, um, which if your readers are unfamiliar, is the process of fetching freight is what I like to call it. Go get me the capacity. I have a load. I need someone to take it for me. Please, no one else can take it. And so from a brokerage perspective, there are problems inherent to that process. Um, There's the problem of vetting carriers. There is the problem of rates. There's the problem of spot buy in and of itself is generally 
not the most desirable thing for anybody in supply chain to deal with. And we looked at a way and say, well, what if we could stop all the phone calls and just deliver multiple quotes at once? What if we could get six quotes within 60 seconds? What if we could get 30? What if we enabled the buyer with enough information from previously vetted carriers that were in our network that not only gave them quotes right away, but were active quotes that could be selected, tendered, and done? So to think about a process that went from multiple calls, waiting for quotes to come back, don't know if you're getting you know, overcharged or if the truck's really going to show up, to literally having everything on your screen, clicking a button, here comes the truck. That's the kind of problems that we solve. Yeah, right. It's uh, that B2C experience. And Calissa, you can probably share some experience of solving problems. It's not it's not like you woke up and said, I want to solve the, the doc appointment scheduling problems in the logistics space. You just kind of got onboarded to this company and you started solving problems. What was what was that experience for you? It sounds really similar to Roberta's of you didn't come in looking to be a, a logistics player. You came in looking to solve problems. Yeah, I was actually really more interested on the technical side of it and kind of fell into the logistics side and was just in awe of the complexities that came with all of that. So, um, yeah, I think it's very fascinating to see how much technology can really support and, and help with this logistics, all of the logistics problems that we run into every day. Absolutely. So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And Roberta, one of the things you mentioned that I wanted to highlight, even if we don't talk about it for too long, but you mentioned finding solutions around ocean freight. And I thought that was really cool because I feel like we talked about segments, people really stay in one area. Ocean's not one that typically people broach, right? You're usually, if you're working on land, like you're handling that. Very rarely do you say, you know, let us go solve some of the ocean problems. So, Can you kind of take us through what your customers said to you and what it led you to do? Sure. So ocean is a problem we all face. There is no area within the supply chain that is not directly um, impacted by international, particularly ocean. Um, The ports are all congested. Um, There are geopolitical um, forces at play as well that certainly lend itself, you know, depending on when, Unfortunately, Shanghai, I believe, is locked down again. And so that port is unavailable again. You know, there are things that are inherently complex within ocean outside of these factors, the, you know, customs and brokerage and all of the required documentation from an audit perspective, much less the fact that the capacity simply wasn't readily available. It was almost non-existent for a long time. When the pandemic was at its strongest, um, we were all hunkered down in front of our computers, buying things, buying lots and lots of things. And imports were at a all-time high. As a result of that, we saw the images on the news with boats staged for miles at the dock, staged out in the water waiting to unload all of the containers. Um, There was inherently a lot of problems that existed, visibility being one, um, the ability to negotiate rates within that environment too. Your contracts became immaterial. I don't care what contracted rate I had with you. I don't have the containers at that price. And so everybody went from paying six to $7,000 a container to paying $25,000, dollars $50,000 to get a container in. And we were amazed by that. We were amazed by that. We said, well, there has to be a better way. So we put in place um, with our technology, the ability to not only have the complete visibility, but negotiating rates from door to door and ensuring that we could secure that capacity for our 
commerce partners, which is what we call customers because we're all partners in commerce. So our commerce partners would know for certain that that container was going to be picked up. We would know when that container was at sale. We would know when it was tracked. We could track it all the way door to door and provide a full suite of solutions, including customs brokerage that we implemented this year. So we made it a very easy experience for our customers. We have a great group on the international side that reports to me that are extremely tenured in the space. Our opportunity here lies within what more we can do, right? So in this environment where the contracted rates are, again, immaterial, everyone is used to doing a spot buy, meaning let me see what I can get today for a price. So we found about 30 or so what we called internally power lanes, where we knew that We had lots of volume going through those lanes. And what could we do as an aggregator to negotiate rates that could stay around for a minute? So they were still spot, meaning there's no contract involved, but yet we could secure those lanes for 15 days up to even 30 days in some cases so that our commerce partners can just feel free to click away. They could schedule, they could forecast, they could budget. And so that's been very popular. That's just one of the ways that we approach the market is how can we solve for those things versus how do we continue to stand in the parking lot, waving our arms in the air like one of those inflatable, wacky, waving arm guys at, you know, at the uh, car dealerships, wondering what to do the next time the wind blows. We just look at it and say there's a way we can solve this through tech. Let's figure out the best way. Um, you know, honestly, I'll, I'll quote our one of our founders, uh, Farzad Debachi, and um, he said a quote that was just so inherently beautiful. I don't know that he recognizes how beautiful this quote was, um, but he said it in a meeting and it just it resonated with me so much because I know what my team does every day. He said the beauty of the Inception product is that the worst version of it is the day you buy it. Because we're always going to improve upon it. We're always going to add to it. We're always going to solve another problem. So that imagine having a solution so powerful that the worst it's ever going to be is what wowed you to get it in the first place. And that is literally, that's the, that's the worst. It's all upside from here is amazing, but that's what we do. That's a, that's a great perspective. Uh, before I ask around some of the ocean stuff, Calissa, how does that software comment resonate with you? Cause I feel like we follow a very similar philosophy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So like we're in active development on our next version of our platform and yeah, for sure. It feels crazy to see how much progress you can make in even a month or a quarter. And you're just look back on what the product was before and you're like, well, how did we even sell this before? This is insane. <laughs> You know, there's always another layer. There's always another issue. There's always another tweak. There's always another feature. Um, We love listening to our commerce partner community and getting ideas from them. But really, the ideas we're getting from them are problems. And they surface them to us. We vet them. We act as freight forwarders so that we can understand what problems the freight forwarder faces. So we're trying to solve problems for everyone. We're not just trying to bucketize all set of features that are just for us. Like everyone else struggles with this problem, but not us, not us, not our commerce partners. We're all, we're all good. The rest of you, the rest of you are, are really sucking, but not us. We're, we're great. <laughs> I mean, our goal, our goal is if we can solve it, who wants it? Come plug in and you can have it. It doesn't have to be just our solution. It's everyone's solution that wants to be part of the network we're building. And so that's where it's great. Um, we love solutions that are so seemingly simple that everybody questions whether or not they work. Those are my favorite. I love those solutions. Uh, we, 
we go through that a lot, right? Uh, especially with doc scheduling, they're like, well, where, where's the implementation? Where's all of this? And I'm like, Oh, you just kind of turn it on. And if you could book an Airbnb, you can, you can set up a warehouse. It's, it's just not that difficult. And so I think we, we go through some of those things, same things, but it's such a competitive advantage to show that the cons, the product's constantly evolving every two weeks. The product looks new, looks better, has an improvement, but we're also finding like that balance of you can't change it too much. You have to solve problems, but people also don't like constant change. They need that blend of consistency plus fix all the things I want you to fix or, or add these things. So we're kind of in the middle of that dance too, um, which is a great segue of really talking about how logistics and tech marry up. And, you know, when we had our, our pre-call, we really talked about um, those two industries and how much they've changed in particular women in tech, women in logistics, and now kind of the fusion of those things. And, and that was obviously a very big passion point for you, Roto. So I'm curious, how do you see things today with women in logistics or tech right now, since it's kind of both? And then how much has that changed over the last 5, 10, 15 years? And so it's interesting because um, if you had asked me this question 15 years ago, I would have said, well, Let's see, I know all five of us in the space, which is an exaggeration, but there weren't a lot of us 15 years ago. It's much, much more commonplace now to see women in senior leadership positions within the logistics space. Shelly Simpson was just named CEO of J.B. Hunt, the largest truckload provider in the country. Erin Van Zeeland, a former um, co-worker of mine at Schneider, she and I have had parallel paths, um, and she is an executive there, and she's an amazing person um, to, to have known. There's, in fact, so many women that I can't even name them all. You know, I'm proud to lead an organization that has a, a significant number of women. I've actually led organizations at my last three employers that were significantly staffed with women. Um, that just goes to show how the demographics of the space have definitely evolved over the past decade and a half. I'm not going to say that that's a direct result of why we're actually fixing things now. I'm just saying that the two are, are just parallel. I mean, I can't, I can't explain that the reason we're all being innovative now is because there's more women in the space. I, I don't know. I'm not saying that isn't the reason. I'm just saying I don't know. I just think it's it's unusual to see an increase in women in tech and women in logistics and finding innovation, climbing, um, consistency climbing, out-of-the-box thinking is on the rise. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Jeff, I mean, I, I mean, Calissa, I'm not saying that that's just the two are, are related. I'm just saying it's unusual to find that that's the case, but certainly both are the case. That's awesome and hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's amazing what a new perspective yeah. can bring. I mean, um, you know, and, and honestly, on that new perspective, I mean, one of the things that we we talk about are, you know, tech and, and logistics, to answer your other question, Jeff. I mean, the, the truth of it is tech and logistics has been challenged. And there's certainly plenty of it. So there's lots and lots of companies that make their mark within supply chain. Certainly supply chain has no shortage of issues for people to tackle with a tech solution. Um, there's visibility that, Project 44 has brought. There's, you know, there's different WMS, warehouse management systems. Um, there's transportation management systems. I'm going to pick on TMS just for a second. So all of these exist and there's several providers within the space. There's not like there's this lone wolf solution out there for everyone. What's interesting to me is something as apparently necessary as a transportation management system. So I'm going to lead a transportation organization then by default, 
I need a transportation management system or a TMS. Makes perfect sense. And a TMS is loaded with the carriers that you use and the rates you've negotiated TID and the lanes in which you've previously hauled and all of the things you've done in past tense and then runs algorithms to determine things like based on everything you loaded, here are your least cost carriers for that lane. Here are these other reports that I can give you based on what you asked me to pull back. But I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's dynamic. Now, I'm confident that there will be plenty of people that work at the various TMSs that will challenge me on it, and that's fine. But they differentiate themselves based on a feature. Like, look how we do this. Look how cool this is. But that's just a feature. It's a software feature. It's not doing anything to elevate the space. What I find amazing is that um, in the past couple years where if we had devised a drinking game where everybody did a shot and every time they heard the word unprecedented, it was so overused in every way and form, yet we still try to respond to those unprecedented times with solutions that were designed 20 years ago. Seems odd. So I would look at some of these technologies in a fresh light to say, are they still relevant? Are they still what this supply chain needs? How do we move forward while clinging to the methods of the past? It's an interesting question for us to consider. It's a tough balance, right? You have to maintain some consistency of how rep- how the tech represents the real world and what's actually happening there, which maybe hasn't shifted as much versus how do we think you know, more forward about this? How do we improve this? And, and I think that's where it ties to you really uh, being passionate about a new perspective, right? Where do do additional perspectives come in? And I think we've seen over the last five years, the tech infusion in the logistics space is just at an all-time high, whether you measure that of new startups, investment into those startups in the tech company. But I think we've seen logistics move forward significantly. And uh, yeah, I I like your, your correlation there to tying it to other people's points of view, getting more engaged and helping us solve those problems. Uh, Calissa, you know, you didn't plan to get in the logistics space. And so I know you had a lot of questions, kind of passion around the subject of as a, as a new woman in logistics, not new to tech, but how, how do you, how do you get involved or, or what does it look like? And what does that path look like for you? So, you know, I'll kind of let you touch on that. Yeah. I was super curious when I saw, when we were interviewing Roberta initially, I was in awe with the fact that she could hold a conversation with Jeff about the logistics vertical in the industry. Cause I feel like it's pretty rare, even in our company sometimes where it's like, you know, Jeff is really the one who has most of the knowledge on how to have these conversations and actually understand what the entire ecosystem really looks like. So we all go to Jeff to actually ask these questions and help us out. So it was fascinating to see you just, you know, <laughs> duke it out with Jeff and he really understood exactly what you guys are talking about. But I'm over here on this other side of the universe. Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. It's so fascinating and interesting. Um, my passion is more on the technology side and, you know, the logistics vertical really interests me, but I'm not quite sure exactly how to gain that knowledge, you know, besides just asking my clients as many questions as possible. But even on client calls, I'm like, I hope I don't look completely dumb here, like, you know, because I'm just asking some of the most basic questions. So um, I know a lot of women in our company and in the industry as a whole are curious about how do we gain this knowledge? Like, where do we even begin? You know, like tech really has 
kind of paved a path for women to, to learn as much as possible without necessarily having to go get a degree or anything. Um, but I don't see a path like that really for logistics or, you know, are there like online resources that you might know about that we can learn more from? Sure. Um, first of all, on behalf of all women in supply chain, welcome to the ranks, Kalissa. We're, we're <laughs> happy you. to have you. Um, you know, second of all, y- you make a point in that um, early on when I and I've been in the industry for a quarter of a century um, and early on, you're right. It was, you know, at the most, OK, we have some Xerox copies of what what the acronyms are and there would be all these sheets we'd pass around. BOL, Bill of Lading. <laughs> SCAC, standard carrier, carrier alpha code. Like we'd all memorize this stuff, right? Um, but it didn't help us in connecting all the dots. I mean, a lot of that was just learned the hard way. And the more exposure you had through literally on the job training, the more versed you became. We've come a long way since. Um, I love to advocate the uh, CSCMP, uh, the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals, great organization. They hold very valuable event, um, events that are less salesy. Um, in fact, the only sales that occur on the you know trade show floor when they have the trade shows going on and much more driven on education, very focused on education in the space, um, has online options, has a number of, you know, conferences. Um, I highly recommend them because it's absolute top quality um, and some of the best brains in the industry are there. Um, and Absolutely everyone there is happy to mentor, happy to work with everybody. Um, So that's one recommendation I would make. Um, The second recommendation um, that is of far less caliber, but I'm just going to say it, is YouTube University. Um, you know, you be, <laughs> you know, I hate to say it, but I guess something as basic as, you know, honestly, there are lots of organizations putting these out on YouTube, not so much for the general population, but here's the secret to train their own team. And so as if you think about it in the hiring world, which has been crazy since the pandemic, when you get somebody on board, you've got to train them and everyone's working remotely. How do you do that? People create YouTube videos to help. And so some of these from customer service to entry level brokerage to all sorts of things, these transportation 101, um, you know, international transportation, all of these sorts of classes, cheapest, fastest way to get them out to your remote workers is to create a YouTube video. And there you go fun thing is they're all still publicly available just to say it's worth a shot. Um, I still would not use any of that over CSCMP, but at least to get an, you know, familiarized, there's a lot of resources that are there, honestly, and it's free. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I used YouTube for a little bit when I was just trying to do some market research on our users, especially like the drivers or the carrier side, because I wasn't as familiar with that. And it was fascinating to see, you know, just, just a driver grabbing his phone and being like, look how long this wait time is here at the you know warehouse. We're sitting here for three hours. I still haven't even, you know, been checked in yet or anything. So it's really yep, cool. And he's going to charge something called detention yeah. for every single hour of that. Oh, Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember watching those videos with me and you, Calissa, of just watching like driver vlogs, if you will. And, you know, it's one thing to solve a problem and we're like, well, dwell time is long. It's an hour and a half and the driver didn't really know what to do. And, and that's one thing to see in your software. It's another to watch someone go through it like, hey, I just drove three days across country. I've pulled up to an address I don't know. I can sort of verify it. And it's a huge building. And I'm just kind of walking around. Hello, I, I'd like to drop things off. Like, 
what would you like me to do? Is there a door? Is there a person? Do you need anything? And then you realize we set nobody up for success with no instructions, no anything. It just said, take this 40,000 pounds of this and take it, you know, four days away and drop it here. It's like, well, do I need to be there at a certain time? Are you open or closed? And it's it's crazy to watch that play out in a, a recorded video of someone living through it because I get nervous if I show up to like my friend's birthday party, a house I've been to before and I look around, I'm the only car here. I'm like, do I knock on the door? And these are people I know. I can only imagine what it's like for a driver. And I remember me and Calissa like actually watching YouTube videos of these drivers. And we're like, we have to make this better. It can't be this hard for them. Yeah. And imagine that same driver, not only trying to drop off that trailer, he has another appointment in two hours somewhere else to go pick up one. And he's at risk of being late. I mean, so it is, it's very much a, a stressful environment at every point in the supply chain, which I've, I've been calling it lately, not even the supply chain. It truly is the supply web. See, supply chain is like a linear. I mean, that's the image you get is this chain, right? And it implies a process. It, 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 right. It implies that there's a process at play that is linear. And and the truth is, and then you get all those, right? Then you get all those cliches. Well, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's more like a web, though. So if you think about a web itself, and forget the spider in the middle, um, but if you think about a web, every connection point makes all the connection points around it stronger. That's why webs, you can take your hose, as I do when I see them, because I'm terrified of spiders, and I will put my hose on full blast, aim right at the web, think, yes, I'm going to get rid of it. Web just gets wet, looks at me in with laughter. I mean, it's not going anywhere. And it's, it's so fragile that I could walk through it if I had the nerve, which I don't, but I could, and I would destroy it. But it's strong enough to withstand something like wind and full, you know, force of, you know, a hose nozzle at it. it, It's strong because it's built to be strong, but it's built to survive what it's meant to survive. So if you walk through it, it's not meant to survive that. And that's kind of what the pandemic did to us on the supply chain world. We weren't built to survive a pandemic. I think we're smarter. I think we're looking at things differently, but human beings are also creatures of habit. And so when we talk about consistency, there's also the flip side of consistency is familiarity. And familiarity can be an Achilles heel in the supply chain where things that are familiar, they seem to make sense. Even in a world where it no longer makes sense, but I know that. I know that enemy, so I like that enemy. That enemy I would complain about prior to the pandemic that it was clunky and hard to use, but at least now I know that enemy. And that enemy to me seems like what's missing here. And truth of the matter is that's just familiarity. It takes some bravery to be able to go out and say that that doesn't work anymore. And we have to look at what will work. And that does take some guesswork. It takes some educated guesses. It takes some creativity. It takes ingenuity. That's where tech is uniquely positioned to be here right now more than ever before. We're not trying to solve an old problem. We're trying to prevent the new ones. We're trying to be visionaries and anticipatory of what is yet to come in the supply chain that we haven't even imagined yet. And it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, it could be simply a matter of unprecedented demand. You know, these are things that we're all right. <laughs> Thank you, Calissa. Take, take the shot. <laughs> this is absolutely going to end up being a game that we're all going to end up playing. Um, but it could it, it could be good. It's not all bad news, but we need to be prepared 
to address whatever comes. Supply chain is dynamic and always has been. It's not an industry you go to if you want to have the same old, same old. You want that go work for the government. You want to be in some place where every day is a different day. Come to supply chain because you will have exactly that. Every day is different. And so that's a that's a good highlight on the on the pandemic and how that forced a lot of change. Have you noticed now, you know, I don't know, coming out of it doesn't feel like the appropriate term, but certainly managing the pandemic. Do you feel people are reverting back to what they did before or do you think it's been changed that people have now continued to move forward with and continue to evolve? Or was it just a a blip and people are going back to their typical ways? Um, I think it's a mixed bag. I think there are some lessons that were learned in that there is no sane inventory solution. You know, prior to the pandemic, it was just in time. See, it saves you money just in time. That didn't work out when we used up all the toilet paper in a day and there are no more stores. Just in time, failed miserably. Then it became got to have inventory. Got to have inventory. Now it's like, okay, we have full inventory in all our warehouses and we need to slow the supply chain down. So you never come completely out of some of these things with a solid answer. I do think um, some of hybrid work is here to stay. I do think that there is a desire to, you know, incorporate more and more technology to solve some of these problems. But regrettably, I do see, um, you know, again, I think it's familiarity. I think when people feel like I can go outside without a mask and I can make it home and be alive, then I can go back to doing things the way I've always done them and it will still work, right? It'll still work. I've always done it this way. And if we're back to pre-pandemic where we all act like that never happened because we're past it, then all those old things will work again, right? And they won't because we've all moved on in so many fundamental ways that I think it is going to be a period from my view where there's going to be a dichotomy at play with those that want to simply go back to what they knew and where they were successful. And then those that recognize we need a new definition of success and where do we need to go now? Where does the market need us to be? I think you find that even in your space right? Where people are used to how they do things and they're coming to clash with like it. It's, it simply can't be that simple, Jeff. That doesn't make any sense. That just, that's crazy. What do you mean? I can do this for my phone even? You mentioned a good one with inventory, um, right? It's, I feel like everyone just chases what, what they don't have, right? When it's just in time, you need to have a big backstock of inventory. When you have a big backstock, you're not using capital efficiently. So you need to be just in time. And it's just constantly going back and forth. And and I always joke that, you know, I think one day we'll, e-commerce will be 60, 70, 80% of the business. And some will say, what if we put e-commerce in a store so people could touch it <laughs> and feel it and be like, oh my God, that's revolutionary. You're right. We'll call it We'll call it clicks and mortar. Right. And we'll just keep going back and forth until we find like some equilibrium where not one thing is all in or, or all out. It's it's just always going to be a balance. But you mentioned the inventory. What was another really big change you felt like you saw? I know we see a little bit of, we think the pandemic drove more adoption to technology. We feel like more customers are coming to us saying, we have a desire to use technology as a broad view, but like, what are some of the other things you think you've observed? Um, tech for sure. I mean, I think we've all seen that. It also gave us an opportunity to reach out to workers that weren't right in front of us. 
right? I mean, I think we've all seen that on tech, and I think that trend will continue. Um, tech delivers so much efficiency that there really is no reason to go backwards from that. So I do think that's here to stay. I think the other thing that I have seen is um, buyers' habits have really dramatically changed, um, and we struggle yet to figure out what those patterns are. So initially, during the pandemic, when everybody was home, shopping away, and we understood that pattern and everybody liked it, right, except for a group of workers that were really tired. So dock workers, for example, and drivers, and everybody realized they could make a lot more money if they were the ones brave enough to venture outside of their house. So the labor market dramatically changed since the pandemic, and I don't think that's going to go back to way, the way it was. Um, I think everybody realizes their worth. And if I'm worth it enough to step outside of my house to go do this for you, then it's worth it for me to be paid that. And so I did think we saw a dramatic labor shift um, since the pandemic. Um, I don't know that we've had the great resignation, quote unquote, yet, but I do think that um, people are more willing to do what they want, where they feel personally fulfilled than prior to the pandemic, um, at least so long as they can. You know, there is, you know, whispers of a recession. If that ends up being the case, we'll see how many people will be willing to make concessions to at least get some income now. Um, but at the end of the day, I think um, in terms of the supply chain, the labor market definitely shifted. Um, people's willingness to be in an in-office environment certainly shifted. Um, I do believe inventory is what it is right now. I think levels are flush. They're high. I don't think we're going to see any big, you know, inventory shifts yet, um, not when the inventory is as high as it is across the board. Um, and I think the other thing I would mention is there's more of a dependency on intermediaries than there was before, where people see the value of a good intermediary relationship, be that as a broker or a 3PL or a tech company such as Inception that is kind of helping them through uncertain times. There is a significant shipper population that sees more value in that than in staffing this 50-person transportation organization, that if you have a good intermediary, that's just as good and just as effective and much more flexible and agile than doing this yourself. So those are the three things that I would call out to you, Jeff. Yeah, I like to call it on intermediaries because I, I agree. I think for a long time, there clearly intermediaries were successful, right? We have very large brokerages, very large 3PL. So clearly they found product market fit and it, it was, it was important, but sometimes, you know, we've all heard the the complaints or a shipper saying, you know, I only work with asset based or I only work with this, but I agree. I feel like it, it showed that there is some value in, in subcontracting this out or using the expertise from someone else and just paying a service fee there rather than trying to become the experts at it yourself. Go be what you're great at. And then once you contract out your logistics to someone who could be great at that. And so I agree. I think that's something I've seen a lot. Um, look, I know we've been chatting for about half an hour. Uh, and Calissa talked about education. I have a, I have a really, we want to put you on the spot. I, I have a really dumb, like newbie to supply chain type question that I'd like to have. But Calissa, I was curious, do you have a the question where you're like, this is so embarrassing to ask? Like everyone talks about it like commonplace. Do you have like a logistics 101 question that you're like, I should know this by now. It's so embarrassing to ask. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, most of the sentences that were just said yeah, when so you said <laughs> intermediary, <laughs> I was like, who is that? And then, I mean, you kind of mentioned like the brokers and the people who kind of manage things in the middle of the entire supply chain. Is that who you're talking about? 
So that's a great question. So yeah, Roberta, <laughs> when you define an intermediary, can you define that? And then also tell us the difference between like, uh, people use broker and 3PL very interchangeably. I definitely see them as different. How do you break those down? Like what's a broker, what's a 3PL, and what do you mean by intermediary? This is a perfect one because <laughs> we all throw the terms out and I'm guilty of it. I'll use them interchangeably and I'm probably not great at defining them. And so this will be very good education for us and anyone listening. Sure. Um, so I'll start at the broadest level, which is simply intermediary, which, Calissa, you nailed it. It's anybody that is in between the shipper and the carrier. And by carrier, I loosely define that as domestic carrier, whether it's less than truckload, full truckload, could be ocean with full container, less than container, the non-vessel operated common carrier is an excellent example of an intermediary, you know, on the ocean side. Um, They don't have vessels. They're just contracting with those guys, right? So that's another example of an intermediary. Now, if we break that down to what is a 3PL, 3PL is an acronym for third-party logistics. So a third-party logistics firm can be as simple as somebody that is going to negotiate rates on your behalf to somebody that acts as your outsourced full-blown transportation department, takes all of the orders from you, can manage fulfillment of those orders from you because that is a 3PL function um, for some organizations, will negotiate rates, will act on your place in front of the carrier, will tender the loads to the carriers, will track and trace everything, will manage claims. So there's something as full service as that in the 3PL marketplace as there is just a simple just help me with my contracts. So 3PL is a very broad definition. A freight broker, I like to make the analogy just like a real estate broker. I didn't build the house. I'm not going to live in the house. I'm here to bring you to a house. I'm here to find houses that I think you'll like because you need a house that looks like this and I can find those for you and I'll help you negotiate to buy that house. Um, So freight broker, very similar. You call me, you need capacity. I'm going to go out and find it for you. And I'm going to negotiate the best price and I'm going to deliver that price to you. And if you accept it, here comes the truck. Truck's going to take care of it and they're going to bill me because I'm going to make that easy for you. And then I bill you. And so that's a key differentiator of most intermediaries is they also serve as the financial intermediary as well for the transaction. You know, they will, to make it easier, you're going to get one bill from me, Mr. Shipper versus 50, 60, 70, hundred bills this week from your carriers independently. So I just collect all of that and give them all to you in a pretty bow. Here you go. Pay me. And that was such a good explanation. And it seems simple when you explain it, like, oh, that was very understandable and consumable. I think many people in the industry, long-term professionals, don't articulate that or explain that as easily as you did. I think it's harder than people think. And the way I see it is a broker is a subset of a 3PL. It's one function that the three, like I see brokers, you could classify them as a 3PL, but the 3PL can represent many things. So like you could run a warehouse, you can do those things. How do you feel about that? I don't know. To me, broker is... It can be part of a 3PL, but I think brokerage is kind of its own deal. I think brokerage is, there are literally thousands. Well, don't of tell that to all the websites. Every, every brokerage calls themselves a I know. 3PL. We're a 3PL. Sure you are. Um, <laughs> you know, and again, I'm not trying to disparage them. It's just, I think that they are a very different business. I think they structure their business very differently. Their model is different. Um, the services they provide are different. Um, and so I do think that someone, I mean, again, um, you know, my last employer had a brokerage operation as part of its overall offering, but I don't think anybody would call them a broker. I mean, we were a 3PL. We had a full service offering that 
did a lot more than just, a, you know, a broker firm. Um, you know, freight forwarders are another example. You know, for, so for international, freight forwarder is like a 3PL on steroids and that they're going to manage everything from the, you know, origin, you know, the inland part of the origin to the port, to the receiving port, all the way door to door. Um, That's a freight forwarder. And some brilliant marketeer 15 years ago or so came up with the term, wait for it, 4PL. I heard that at first. I'm like, I I, I literally (laughs) said, I heard it at, at a conference. I'm like, what's a 4PL? Like, it's like a 3PL, but we also do payment. What does that even mean? Isn't that just another function? But yeah, I so I, I love it. I love the 4PL. I'm excited that we'll launch and be a 5PL. I think of it as like seven-minute abs. Why don't you do them in six, <laughs> six-minute abs? And it's like, you can't possibly get a full workout in six minutes. That's where we're going. I'm excited to see once I've spent 25 years in the industry that I hope in my year 25, we're talking about seven PLs and eight PLs. Oh no, you'll be, you'll be, you'll, you'll be using different words by then. You'll, you'll call yourself the, um, this is our, you know, centennial three PL or centennial PL, <laughs> sequential PL. It'll be amazing. But you, you touched on my question. I was going to ask my, my really silly question that I think gets confused a lot, which is difference between a freight forwarder and a broker. And I think you already explained what a freight forward is. I feel like you already touched on that, but that was going to be my silly question that I think people confuse a lot too. Yeah. And a broker for international is no different than a broker for domestic. It's the same function, just containers versus trucks. Right. Awesome. Uh, Calissa, what else, uh, you know, we talked about so many things in the pre-interview. What else haven't we asked Roberta about? I feel like we just put her through the ringer of all kinds of questions from women in tech to the, the pandemic. We asked our silly logistics questions. Anything else we're missing? Um, I, I think I'm curious about just like mentors and advocates, like, especially for women, but not just for women, you know, anyone who's you know new to this industry and wanting to learn. And I feel like Jeff has been one of those people for me. Um, but you know, I think that would be really cool for you to touch on there. Yeah. Mentorship is really important in this space because there is so much to learn. I did not, you know, learn all of this in utero. No one does. I mean, I am the product of direct experience and being mentored by a number of people in the space that, you know, had come before me um, directly, Um, both because I worked for some amazing people. I worked with some amazing people. um, And I have a personal philosophy that you're mentoring whether or not you choose to. Someone is modeling themselves after you one way or the other. They're either modeling your answer to a situation because they admire the results or they're modeling how they never want to address a situation because they watch how you handle it. All of us mentor all the time. That's the truth. All of us mentor all the time. So if you consider that, that you're always modeling some sort of behavior for someone to follow that is is working with you um, or in your organization um, or even out in the general marketplace where they don't even know you, what kind of person do you want to represent? And I've always believed that if I am going to be out in the marketplace directly, I'd like them to see that it is possible to do what you want to do in the space, regardless of where you came from, regardless of your gender, regardless of your level of familiarity with the space, that if you dove in and worked with some good folks, you could get there if you wanted to. Um, And so when I have been asked to formally mentor, 
those have been some of my most favorite sessions. Like I love those, you know, I think everybody deserves to get some mentors. Calissa, I'm happy to offer those services to you (laughs) at your discretion. I would be honored. Um, I would love that. Jeff, I know you already (laughs) know everything. So, I mean, I'm not trying to slight you, but you already know everything. So, oh man, um, that that is just not true. (laughs) But I mean, all, all of that I'm saying is, you know, and I do believe in this, if, if everybody does that, then not only are we all smarter for it, but eventually we're all going to want to retire and supply chain is critical to all of us. Like there isn't a human being on this earth that is not impacted by the supply chain. And so the world we leave behind is the one we're going to design through this industry. And so I am more than happy to make sure it's staffed with professionals that can handle it a hundred percent. That is very that fun. is awesome. Well, I, I think you'll that. be getting your uh, your mentorship submission form from Calissa after this. And I I need to go out. This is actually inspiring for me because I need to go out and do the same. I think my informal mentor for the last five or six years has really been YouTube University, which, although helpful in some ways, is probably not yeah. the level of education and mentorship and guidance I truly need. So I need to probably upgrade from the YouTube rabbit hole to like, a professional I can look up to and get guidance. So this is really good for me too, because now I feel like I need to get off my butt and do something about it. You know, and, and again, I'll, I'll tout CSCMP one more time because that, that is such a great association that is focused on education and learning does a lot with the universities. I mean, uh, university of Tennessee has an amazing um, transportation and supply chain curriculum that, CSCMP helped to foster. Georgia does. I mean, there's just so much that they do overall with education, formally and informally. Um, you know, there's plenty of folks at that organization that I owe a gratitude of debt to. Um, and I try to repay it every day through influencing someone else. That's awesome. I think that's a great take. And I think people will take a lot from this. I think that's a, a really good way. But we can't end it on that. We're going to ask you, what is your hot take on the industry going forward? Just, it can be anything. It can be about tech. It can be about where it's going. Just some hot take that maybe not everyone's seeing, or maybe it's a little wild, or maybe you're just 20 years ahead of everyone else. But what what is your hot take for the future to close this out? Um, I would answer that, Jeff, by saying that we are in a pivotal position as an industry. Um, we are at a point where we recognize formally for the first time, we're hearing it in conferences, we're seeing it in articles, our complete and total interdependence on one another. And so, you know, politics make strange bedfellows. That's true nowhere more than in supply chain, where your competitors, you're asking for help, where you all recognize that you share the same issues, that you share the same desired outcome. And so I do think that this industry is going to be shaken up a bit. I do believe that we're going to collectively get to a place where we realize we're stronger together, literally working together and not trying to delineate ourselves based on price or just coverage or some feature set in the software. That really it's going to be about what network did we provide? The the cause, I think, has never been clearer than in the past couple of years of how important we are and how global we truly are that near sourcing is a fallacy, that we are truly a global supply chain. Even if we're just taking last mile in suburban Cincinnati, Ohio, we're part of the global supply chain because what you're taking came from somewhere else. 
I do believe that we're going to come to some pretty harsh realities as an industry that's going to result in how we approach legislation how we approach software, how we approach each other. I do think we're going to find that our competitive nature will lie more, or our success rather, will lie more in how we treat our customers again. It'll be less about our availability and our capacity and how many trucks we have with our logos on them. And it's going to become more about how we treat every single interaction. How, because we as buyers have choices, we are no longer going to be left in the, there's no one else to do it. You have to take it. That's changing. Um, you know, there's always been this shift between buyer and seller in this space where, you know, it's it's a pendulum, right? No capacity, higher prices, lots of capacity, lower prices. Would you please do business with me? Won't answer the phone because I'm busy making money. Hey, you want to go do lunch? So there's always this back and forth. And I do think it's going to come to a place where it needs to balance in the middle. And that whether you have capacity available or not, you're going to need to recognize my value to your business. And it's going to change up a lot of a lot of things. You know, there, there are going to be, we don't have enough time for all the things I think it's going to do. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I like that. That's a, that's a hot take I can get behind because I'd like to see the industry go that way. Glissett, anything else before we close out? No, I think this was awesome. Such a good conversation with you, Roberta. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. You guys are welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the work you guys are doing too. And so this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate um, having the opportunity to chat with you guys today. Awesome. Thanks for the time. Bye everyone. OpenDoc is the leading dock appointment scheduling software for warehouses. Trusted by some of the top shippers and 3PLs, OpenDoc helps you save time and money by empowering carriers to schedule their own dock appointments. There's a way to make dock scheduling easier for warehouses and for carriers. To learn more, visit opendoc.com. You've been listening to What's Up Doc, a look inside the warehousing world brought to you by OpenDoc. If you like the show, please rate and review us and keep connected by following the show on your favorite podcast app. If you have a topic or someone we should talk to, message Calissa Pollard or Jeff Booth on LinkedIn. Thanks so much for listening.